Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Today, God speaks to us through from the book of Psalm, chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. Salmo unang kabanata, talatang isa hanggang anim. Mapalad ang taong hindi namumuhay ayon sa payo ng masasama o sumusunod sa mali nilang halimbawa at hindi nakikisama sa mga taong nangungutya. Sa halip ay nagagalak siyang sumunod sa mga aral na mula sa Panginoon at araw-gabi ito ay kanyang pinagbubulay-bulayan. Ang katulad niya ay isang punong kahoy na itinanim sa tabi ng sapa na namumunga sa taktang panahon at hindi nalalanta ang mga dahon. Magtatagumpay siya sa anumang kanyang ginagawa. Ngunit ibang taong masama, sila'y parang ipa na tinatangay ng hangin. Parurusahan sila ng Diyos sa araw ng paghato at ihihiwalay sa mga matutuwid. Sapagkat pinapatnubayan ng Panginoon ang mga matuwid, ngunit ang buhay ng taong masama ay hahantong sa kapahamakan. Ito ang salita ng Diyos. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Gemma. So, today, again, we start uh, our new series and our new focus on the book of Psalms. And in particular, uh, we'll be looking at, uh, for the next, for this fall, looking at different uh, psalms that focus on uh, various spiritual practices. And the reason why we're spending a whole year on the book of Psalms is because uh, often when we think about psalms, we tend to think of them as being uh, songs, uh, maybe we think about them as poems, uh, which they absolutely are. Uh, but the psalms were actually uh, very integral, not only to the presentation of songs and poems, but they're also deep, deep uh, in theology. There's a richness to the Psalms that actually provides us um, a lot of insight into the person and the character and the nature of God and the ways that God is working in the world. And as a result of that, there are actually some church traditions uh, who only sing the Psalms. They, won't, they don't sing contemporary songs. Uh, they don't even sing um, historic hymns. They only sing the Psalms. And that is rooted in the conviction that the Psalms actually have much to teach us, and if the Psalms were good enough for the people of God historically, uh, they should be good enough for us today. Um, we take a little bit of a different perspective on that, but I very much respect that conviction because it's true. There's a depth to the Psalms that we often don't give enough attention to, and so what we want to do over the course of this season is to give that attention to the Psalms, to focus in on the, the, the richness that is available to us that's there, uh, that's available to us in there. Um, it's ri they're rich in theology. They, they speak to nearly every facet of human life. They, they speak to, again, the, the person, the character, and the nature of God. They speak to us about the redemptive work of God. They, God is accomplishing even through the work of Jesus. I mean, we see Jesus in the Psalms. Uh, all, of course, is occurring by the power of the Spirit. And so in these coming months, I hope that we develop a new relationship to and a depth in our relationship to the Psalms. Uh, and so again, to assist in that, we'd encourage you to engage in the resources uh, that we'll be putting in front of you over these coming weeks. But today, in this journey through the Psalms, uh, we're going to be starting our first series of a number of them that are to come. Uh, we've entitled this one, Living Inside Out, A Life in the Psalms. 
Uh, again, for the fall, we'll be focusing in on various spiritual disciplines or what we call the ordinary means of grace. Uh, these are the, the regular rhythms um, and practices that ought to be in our lives, and it's through those practices that we believe that God meets us there uh, to help deepen and grow our faith. Uh, the regular, everyday practices uh, that uh, God puts before us not only shape our relationship with Him, but in addition, and this kind of gets a little bit to this living inside out, it also puts us uh, out, out on mission. As God deepens our, our faith and our relationship with Him, He also then sends us out into a world, and so we, into the world in need of uh, His gospel hope. And so we hope that in the coming weeks, as we consider the various spiritual practices like prayer, and hospitality and confession and Sabbath and worship and so much more, that our relationship with the Lord would deepen, but also as it deepens, we'd be sent out uh, as a people on mission. And so today, we'll be looking at the very first Psalm, Psalm 1, to consider uh, specifically the importance of Scripture, the Word of God, the Bible, in the life of the Christian desiring to deepen their walk with the Lord. And to do that, let's consider the content of the word, the necessity of the word, and then finally the person of the word. Right? So first, uh, let's consider what, what I mean by and what we're referring to when we talk about the word. Because as we um, look at our passage, we don't actually see any reference to the word. You don't see the word Bible uh, there in that passage. So what do we mean when we're talking about the word of God, the Bible? We'll look at uh, verse 1 again with me. It says this. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but those who delight in the law of the Lord. Right? Let me highlight that for a second. Here, what we see is something known as the law of the Lord. When we hear that, the idea of law of the Lord, we might immediately begin thinking about different laws that God has given to us. Uh, specifically um, given to Moses. So, for example, we might think of the Ten Commandments when we think about the law of God, which is absolutely part of what is being described here. But what else could that mean? Is it, is it referring only to these commands, only to actual laws, or is there something more? Well, there's actually numerous ways that the Bible uh, talks about the law of God, the law of the Lord. Uh, and while there's several places that we could go to try and unpack that, I want to consider something um, uh, from John 10. So in John 10, Jesus is speaking to those who are listening to him teach. And as he speaks to them, he says to them, he says, is it not written in our law? And then he goes on to quote Psalm 86. So Jesus saw that the Psalms were the law, right? He equated those. Uh, there's another place where Jesus, he's referring to what we would uh, understand to be the Old Testament. And he's speaking of himself, and he says that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. In other words, one of the ways that the Bible uses the law of God, the law of the Lord, is in reference not just to the law of Moses or commandments that God gives, but rather to the totality of Scripture. Plus, Scripture we believe, to be a revelation of God himself. It's in Scripture that we learn about the, the character and the, the nature of God. We, we learn about his power and his righteousness and his holiness and his justice. It's in Scripture where we learn uh, of the, the will and the commands of God, what he desires for us, what he requires of us. It's in Scripture where we, we learn of the, the love of God 
and his commitment to his people and his desire to bring restoration and redemption and wholeness to his creation. And so when we read here about delighting or meditating on the law of God, we're not just talking about, again, these commandments, but rather we're talking about meditating and uh, delighting in a revelation of God himself, the totality and, and full scripture that he has given us. And so with that in mind, we need to take seriously then what the psalmist is talking about here. How the psalmist understands the power of this law of God, the word. Because it's one thing to understand that, of course, the Bible claims uh, to be the law of God. It's another thing to actually allow the reality of that truth to impact the way that we live and the way that we see the world. And so, with that in mind, not only should we consider what the law of God is, the content of it, but also the necessity of it. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Let me read uh, those again so we got it fresh in our minds. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. So first, it's interesting that the psalmist here is juxtaposing two different groups of people. He describes the wicked, and he describes those who delight in the law of the Lord. And I want to just for a moment consider both of those two groups of people. So the wicked. Who exactly are the wicked in this psalm? Well, we see for a further description in verse 4. The psalmist describes the wicked this way. So the, the, the wicked are the... Are, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, as you may know, the chaff is the outer covering of wheat and other kinds of, of grain. And so when harvesting the grain, uh, the grain would be crushed, it would be threshed, in order to separate the edible piece of that, uh, of that uh, grain with the outer shell that was inedible. And that chaff, that outer shell, it had no real nutritional value. It was hollow. It was uh, kind of a, it, was, it lacked any kind of meaningful substance. And it would just easily be blown away. And so the psalmist is saying that the wicked are like those who, as a result of rejecting God's word, the law, lack any meaningful, sub meaningful substance and are easily blown away by the wind. But then he says in verse 2, Again, but those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night, that the person, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do, prosper. Okay, so the wicked, due to their rejection of the law of God, lack substance, are void of fruit, so to speak. But then he says that those who delight in the law of the Lord are conversely a, a tree planted near water bearing fruit, fruit that does not wither, and that all that they do will prosper. And so we are presented with two very different images, right? one of a dried shell that's easily blown away by the wind, and also a deeply rooted tree that's near a stream. And the difference is ultimately about whether or not one embraces the law of the Lord, and whether one delights in, meditates on the law of the Lord. Now, why is that the case? That actually sounds like a very harsh comparison, right, between those two groups of people. Well, think about what's being described here. So if we go back to where we started, if, the, if we assume that the law of the Lord is the word of God revealed to us, 
It's God revealing to us his purposes, his character, his nature. That the, the word of God, the law of God, it's revealing his desires and his will for his creation. Revealing the plan of redemption that he has for his creation. What other possible conclusion could there be between those who embrace it and those who reject it? Of course, it would be the case that those without knowledge of such transcendent truths would be like chaff in comparison to those who meditate on those same transcendent truths day and night. But let me pause there for a minute because it's also important just to note that that assumes that one has a particular view of Scripture, of the Word of God. Meaning, we might very well reject that foundational premise that God's Word is just that, His Word. And frankly, I think that's probably fair. Because we can't actually get much out of this psalm unless we decide what we actually believe about the Word of God. Why is it that we believe this Word to be just that, the Word of God? Well, there's a lot that I could say about that, and that would be a whole thing unto itself. Let me just say a couple of things on why we even approach the Bible, Scripture, with such high reverence. Why we believe it to be this Word of God, this revelation of God to us. Again, there's a lot of different things that we could say, but the one I want to highlight is simply this. That Jesus himself very much had that view of Scripture. He very much had that view of what we consider to be the Old Testament. And because of that, that begins to shape how we understand all of Scripture that God has put in front of us. Jesus was constantly referencing the Old Testament. In fact, much of Jesus' teachings would not make any sense without the backdrop of, again, what we consider to be the Old Testament. Why? Because in places like Matthew 5, Luke 4, Luke 24, Jesus says that the, this, the, the Scripture, right, this Old Testament Scripture, was not only authoritative, but also he says that all of it is pointing to him, that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is the fulfillment of this revelation of God. And so over and over again, what we're seeing all throughout the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels, and in, uh, even more particularly in the Gospel of John, where Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. And so at least one of the reasons why we take Scripture seriously is because the Word of God, we believe, to be very much be uh, God's uh, revelation to us, Jesus affirming that revelation, and Jesus even himself claiming to be the Word embodied. I mean, this is one of the things that John gets at when he calls Jesus the Word, that the Word has become flesh. Jesus is embodying the very, this very revelation of God. And all of this is why this juxtaposition between a deeply rooted tree and a hollowed out shell is so stark. It's because to deny Scripture as the Word of God is to deny everything about reality, all of which is embodied in the person and work of Jesus. So that said, it's also necessary for us to then consider, if we've got these, this one group, this, this group that uh, rejects, what do we do then if you are here, and maybe you don't reject it, you do believe that the Bible is the Word of God, it's important for us to also be confronted with something else that's going on in this passage. Because depending on your starting points, it is possible to actually take a very um, unfortunate and problematic posture 
toward reading this because, again, there's this juxtaposition between those who reject the Word of God and those who uh, believe it to be the Word of God. And if you're a Christian, and I bring this up, I think, largely because I have fallen into this, our immediate posture might be, when we read this passage, to say, Ah, yes. The wicked people, they are like, howler out chaff without any meaningful substance because they don't believe in the Bible's power as the Word of God. And cool. But it's interesting to me that that's not actually what it says here in our passage. It doesn't actually say that those who believe that the law of the Lord is the Word of God are those who prosper. But look again at what it says, how it differentiates these two groups. Verse 2, again, you read it for us. But those who delight in the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prosper. Here's what's interesting. Believing the law of the Lord is the word of God is really not saying that much. I mean, Satan and his demons believe that the law of the Lord is the word of God. The distinction here is with those who delight in it, who meditate on it day and night. And so the question must be, is that true of us, Christian? I mean, if we are honest, I think we might all be falling short of that kind of standard. And frankly, as someone who spends an enormous, of time, an enormous amount of time studying and attempting to understand Scripture, the Word of God, Right? It's part of my job to do that. I find myself constantly having to ask that question because knowing the Bible, believing the Bible to be the Word of God is very different than delighting in it, meditating on it. Do I delight in the Word of God and meditate on it day and night? I have to, I have to ask myself that question all the time. And I think for many of us, we may need to also be asking ourselves that question regularly. Remember what we said that the Word of God is the revelation of God Himself. So delighting and meditating is this constant desire for the truths of God's Word, that the revelation of His character, His desires for me to constantly be on my heart and on my mind. That's what this means. And so again, the question then is, that's before us is, do I give thought all throughout my day, day and night, do I give thought about how I am centering God's revelation of himself in the way that I live, the way that I think, the way that I treat people, the decisions that I make, the attitudes that I keep? Is God at the center of it? Is his revelation of himself at the center of it? And Christian, the reality is that while there might be a big gap between us and the wicked of the passage, I think it's also true that there's a big gap between where we currently often are and those who delight and meditate on the Word of God daily, day and night. And so at minimum, I would encourage us to at least consider that there ought to, this ought to produce a deep humility in us that recognizes our own need for God's grace, His forgiveness, for our lack of centering His Word more fully in our lives. Do we delight and meditate day and night on the character, the work, the desires of God? Now that said, it would be wrong of me to just kind of stop there. Because I think the question or the answer to that question would probably be no. I don't give nearly enough of my 
uh, my heart to centering God's word in my life. And for many of us, maybe, especially if you're a Christian who understands and recognizes that the Bible should be much more part of your life, um, you might be feeling a little twinge of guilt. I know that I certainly am as I think about that for myself. Like, ah, oh, I gotta really get my stuff together. I really need to get better about reading my Bible. And it would be terrible if that was the only takeaway that we had today. Because it's actually the case that guilt is a terrible uh, motivator to find delight in something. You know, for example, some of my greatest delights, right, the greatest, some of the greatest delight that I experience is spending time with my wife and my children. But if I had no desire to be with them, but then someone guilted me into doing so, nothing about that time would be delightful. Right? It'd be mere obligation. But because of my love for them, I don't need guilt-ridden motivation to be with them. Rather, my love for them is actually the very basis for why I delight in being with them. And so with that in mind, I want us to not just consider the necessity of it. Right? There, there is a necessity. We need to care about embracing the Word of God and having it be center in our lives. But I also want us to consider that where the delight comes from is not just in this obligation that we should feel toward it, but also that we need to see the person of the Word that brings that very delight, that does, makes us desire and want it. So finally, let's consider the person of the Word. Again, verse 3. So the person that delights and meditates on the Word it says, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. There's so much in that one sentence that we need to consider. Um, let me just highlight a few things. First, note that the, the juxtaposition that the psalmist uh, presents between the chaff uh, that easily blows away in the wind and the tree that's planted in the stream. Um, just picture those images in our minds for a minute. Because the imagery is really emphasizing the strength of one who, does, who delights in the, in the law of the Lord. Right? That's really what's emphasized there. There's strength there. How? Well, a tree planted near a stream uh, is a tree that is not subject often to the, the ever-changing realities of the wind that blows. A tree near a stream has this constant flow of water that continually strengthens the tree. And that constant flow of water causes the, the roots of that tree to go deeper and deeper. So that over time, right, as those roots go deeper and deeper, the tree becomes far less susceptible to the winds that might surround it. And at a certain point, there's nearly, it's probably true that there's nearly almost no wind that could possibly uproot that tree because of the deep rootedness that the tree has experienced as a result of being near that stream. Plus... As those roots go deep, as the strength builds, as the tree grows, with that growth also comes much fruit. And the psalmist speaks of it, that the, there's much fruit that comes and everything prospers. So there's a strength, there's a rootedness, there's fruit and prosperity for those who delight and meditate on the word of God in the same way that a tree prospers next to a stream. But there's something else that I want to point out there that the psalmist notes. The psalmist says this, that if you delight and meditate on the law of God, that you will, it, or the psalmist rather, sorry, does not say, if you delight and meditate on the law of God, that you will have a constant fruit and constant prosperity. But look more closely at what the psalmist says, just to highlight it. 
The psalmist talks about fruit that comes in season. What does that mean? Well, that means that there will be seasons when the fruit is abundant and prosperity is obvious. Right? It is a, a normal rhythm of life for there to be obvious and abundant fruit on trees, where the fruit is just falling all over the place. Right? It's obvious that prosperity is there. But it's also true with trees that there will also come seasons where maybe that fruit isn't nearly as apparent. Maybe it seems as though there's no fruit at all. And the reason why I think that's really important to highlight is because a genuine concern that I have for myself and for all of us is that many of us will experience those seasons where it doesn't seem like the fruit is abundant. And maybe it doesn't even really feel like there's any fruit at all. And many will experience those seasons and assume that there must be something wrong with this whole idea of delighting and meditating on the Lord. Because there's an assumption that if I just spend time in the Word of God, then I'm going to inevitably experience that fruit. And there's an assumption that that fruit should always be there, always prosperous. But because it's not, we can very easily walk away, uproot ourselves from that stream. Because we don't think that we are getting what we need from that stream. Because it doesn't seem like the fruit's coming or there's even like a budding of the fruit that's there. But what we don't realize is that even in those seasons when the, the fruit does not come, we are nonetheless still in a place of security and safety and rootedness near the stream. And if we continue drawing from that stream, my friends, eventually the seasons will change and we'll begin to see that fruit budding again. And because we stayed the course, even in the midst of that season, when there seemed like there was no fruit, do you know what's actually happening in those seasons? Do you know what's happening during those rhythms? Our roots are actually still going deeper. They're still growing stronger. Which means that when the fruit does come, it will be even more abundant than it was before. All because we stayed rooted near that stream of water. And so my encouragement would be, don't uproot yourself from the stream. Even when it doesn't feel like it's, it's working, it's working. God is using, you know, we talked about these ordinary means of grace. That God gives us these simple practices that are simple maybe to us, but they are profound. Doing an amazing, deep work in us including rooting us more and more. But I started this point by noting that if we are to find ourselves rooted, we need to not remain there out of an obligation, but rather out of a delight for God's law, a delight for his word. And that delight, my friends, is the meditation that leads to this deep rootedness. And the realization is actually remembering that there is a person who is actually the source of the strength. That the strength is the stream, right? The water itself. And that the water is what is bringing us life. And so it's actually the water that we find ourselves delighting in. What do I mean? Would well, you remember in uh, John 4, Jesus meets the Samaritan woman. If you remember the story, Jesus meets uh, this, this woman at the well. He asks her for some water. And it's here that Jesus says that he is the one with living water. 
a water that completely satisfies our thirsts and leads us to never thirst again. And then later on in John 7, he says that this living water is the Holy Spirit, the one whom Jesus sends to us. In other words, the delight we find in the law of God, this, this delight that the psalmist speaks of, that desire, this desire to meditate on daily, comes not out of an obligation, but rather it's rooted in Jesus himself. Recognizing and seeing Jesus for who he is is actually what it is that produces this strength and leads us to a greater desire to meditate and delight. You know, when we meditate on the word of God, the law of God, we are meditating on Jesus himself, the one who brings this never-ending, eternal stream of living water that roots us deeper and deeper, leading us to strength and rootedness and fruit. So why do we take knowing, learning, and meditating on the law of God so seriously? It's because in doing so, it's actually there that we're meeting with Jesus, where we are with Jesus, the source of this ever-flowing water that's providing us all that we need to grow deeper and deeper, to bear more and more fruit. And so my question would be with this. This is where I want to close. Is that the, the ultimate issue is not whether or not we have a commitment to reading and knowing God's Word. That's very much part of it. And again, I don't want us to walk away um, with the, the assumption that I, this is just, I gotta, I gotta white knuckle this. I need to make myself spend time in the Bible. That's an important thing. But even more than that, what I really want us to consider is actually this question. What is it that we delight in? Where is our delight? Because one important, one important takeaway is going to be, all right, practically speaking, how, I'm, how am I going to figure out the rhythms of my life to spend time understanding the Word of God? I would encourage you to engage with our rule of life. That's one way to maybe help uh, in, the, in that processing. But even more, what am I delighting in? There's a statement of Jesus in Matthew 6 where he says famously, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My question would be, what has captivated our hearts? What is our treasure? Because if Jesus is not the answer to that question, we're almost going to always fail at spending that consistent time in his word. But when Jesus has truly captured our hearts, captivated us, when we see Jesus as our true treasure, then it becomes all the more of a delight when we spend time in his word. Now, all of a sudden, this whole idea of meditating on the word of God day and night it's not some obligation. It's something I desire to do because I recognize that it's there where Jesus is. And sometimes a lack of spending time in the Word of God is a scheduling problem that we need to figure out. But most of the time, it's a delighting problem. Are we delighting in Him? And my prayer would be, for all of us, that that would actually be our, our prayer. God, help me to delight in the work of Jesus more and more. And as I delight in him more and more, help me to see the value of what it means to be with him in his word. I trust that that kind of prayer God will answer. He'll meet us there. And as we're faithful to continue delighting in the law of, God, the, law of the Lord, the word of God, that we'll find ourselves deeper rooted. 
where the wind cannot impact us, and where there's fruit that comes in season. I pray that would be the case for all of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, <clears throat> we thank you for your word and the revelation of your word to us. Uh, we thank you that it's in your word that we learn of who you are. Uh, we learn of what you desire for us. We learn of what you're accomplishing um, through your creation. It's in your word that we find our hope. And for that, we give you thanks and praise because that is nothing but a gift that you give to us. But Lord, we also recognize that often uh, we don't find ourselves delighting, meditating on your word like we should. And Lord, for those of us here that maybe we, we do need to just take some time to intentionally think about how we can uh, have better rhythms of spending time in your word. For many of us, that lack of desire is actually, uh, it's an issue of where we're delighting. And so, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would captivate our hearts in such a way that <clears throat> spending time in your word is not uh, an obligation, but it truly is something that we desire to do because it's there where we know we will meet Jesus by your spirit, the one who is the flow of living water that roots us, that causes us to bear fruit. And so would you give us a renewed vision of your love for us in Jesus. And may the consequence of that be our desire to spend more time with you in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.